It's not about can we do it. It was more about how we do it. I always expected people to say no. And then when someone said yes, I was like, what? <laughs> Actually, you want to do this? <laughs> I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. The whole world is like, what exactly have you smoked again? This is The Raise, where we take you behind the scenes into the capital raising journeys of startup founders. Some you may have heard of, others you need to hear about, and all of whom have been through it to close a raise. On the show, you'll learn how founders make the difficult decisions. Whether you're a founder yourself or you're simply interested in the fast-moving, innovative world of startups, this show is for you. I'm your host, Mylin Dang. I'm Managing Director of capital raising law firm Metis Law. For over a decade, I've worked with founders to raise capital so they can build businesses that make a lasting impact. Today, I'm chatting with Mike Erlen. Mike is the co-founder and CEO of AbilityMap, a behavioural measurement and modelling platform that enables teams to drive productivity across their workforce. We've used AbilityMap in our business and the tool allowed us to identify and recruit people who ended up without a doubt being our best performers. In this episode, you'll hear how Mike, along with his co-founder, Kevin Chandler, came up with the idea for AbilityMap, how they tackled the challenges to turn a side hustle into a full-time gig, and how they secured investment from some seriously impressive investors to back their early stage startup. Let's dive in. Welcome, Mike. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thank you, Marlene. I'm extremely happy to be here. Mike, your company's ability map. Let's start from the top. Can you give me your elevator pitch? We're basically a next generation HR technology platform. And what we do is we drive insight into an organization's human capability, strengths and gaps. Those things that either make an organization lubricated up and ready to work or stuck in a grind. The result is the saving of a lot of time and money while improving the productivity of the workforce, retention, and as always, avoiding the eye-watering cost of the whoops factor after you've hired somebody and you wish you hadn't. So that's what we do. We've used AbilityMap in our business, and without a doubt, our best performers were predicted by the tool. So thank you for sharing it with the world. Yeah, thank you very much. Actually, one of your key people that you assigned to us was done with AbilityMap, and I'm a very happy customer with his service. The tool gave us a 100% match for him, so it's turned out really well. Then you didn't go whoops, did you? No. (laughs) Mike, in your previous life before AbilityMap, you held very senior positions in some high-profile companies, Cornerstone on Demand, Blackboard, which is formerly WebCT. Your career was looking mighty fine and you were working on Ability Map on the side. What was the inflection point in Ability Map that made you take the leap to work on it full time? Great question. If I look back on it, Mylin, I got involved in the human capital sector back in basically 2000. And there was something that in working with my clients, and the short version actually started with about three CFOs, different clients in a couple of years. And essentially, they were asking, Mike, I'm going to buy all this content from your team, and you're telling us all these capabilities, but you've given us no evidence that these are actually what drive our business or that we have a problem, and if so, where? That really resonated with me because companies invest a lot in their people and invest in training, but it just caused me to realize that 
we've all been doing it. There's a phrase I like to use called blind dogs in a meat house, right? You just don't know why you're doing it, but you keep doing it. I continued in different companies, as you said, in predominantly the learning and capability development sector. And Kevin and I, in 2015, 16, we started really putting pen to paper and designing some things to solve this persistent problem that we observed that third of the workforce was underperforming or in the wrong job or didn't like the job they were in and it didn't make sense, right? So we built this stuff over time and I think we're going to talk about capital and I'll tell you how we used capital through this cycle. But the tipping point for me was I had probably one of the best jobs I've ever had and enjoyed, managing director of Cornerstone On Demand. And we built our initial prototype. We built an MVP. We'd taken it out to clients, as you said, on the side. And the clients were saying exactly what you were saying. They're saying, hey, this is great. you know. And I kind of got to this point and I said, I either got to jump in both feet and go full time or I got to get on with the rest of my life and stop doing this because it's just draining resource and this and that. Basically, I think it was about July or June of 17, I gave my notice to Cornerstone. They asked me to stick around a bit longer to help out, which I did. And then essentially, I was full-time in September of 17. And like anything, you think you have one thing and you actually get down deep in it. It wasn't as far along as I think we had hoped. So I spent probably the first good six months really working on the product, which was fantastic. And then we went to commercial market with our first full release of Ability Map in April of 2018. Going back to that decision to take the leap, who did you involve when you made that decision to leave the corporate job? Of course, Lee, my wife. It's a big decision. You know, even if you've, I've been involved in startups a lot. If you look at my trajectory, it's sort of going into bigger companies, out to startups and turn around bigger companies. That's sort of the cadence that I've run. But this was different. This was our gig. This was our starting. I wasn't taking over as CEO of a company that had been running. I wasn't, you know, running head of sales or something like that. So yeah, Lee had a lot to do with it. I checked with some of my very close friends and asked them for the feedback that they might not be comfortable telling me. You know, when you get that from the ones who know you the best, that is really helpful. I still made the decision. That's right. Mike, you mentioned Kevin, who's your co-founder. That's Kevin Chandler. He's a veteran of the employment industry. He's a behavioral psychologist and founder of Chandler HR, which went on to become Chandler McLeod, a company that listed on the ASX and was acquired for $382 million. How did you meet Kevin? I'll just add, he's an absolute golf tragic, was president <laughs> of the Lakes Club and hosted three Australian Open, rounded out there. <laughs> Yeah, Kev is a hell of a person. How we met is when I came down to Australia in 05 on my second gig, which was a company called Today Corp that was in 2008. We just I took over 45 days and then the GFC hit. So that was quite an experience. But we sort of come out of that. And I was asking around, you know, who in this market was the guru of human performance? Because I didn't know. The, the guys that I used to work with, Josh Barrison's a big guy. And there's a bunch of people I've worked with in the States, but not down here. And so they told me Kevin Chandler. I go, all right, let's get him. And so I hired him to come talk to my clients after the GFC in this company, Today Corp. We were doing experiential learning and delivery platforms to improve workforce capability. And Kev just did a great job. And we started talking after that. And we actually found that we had common views about what was missing in human performance within work, but we were coming at it from different sides. Kev was coming at it predominantly from recruitment. 
And he basically said, we're making all these decisions, yet a third of the time, hiring managers would definitely not rehire. That's not acceptable because Chandler McLeod, he'd use every psychometric assessment, cognitive evaluation known to person, yet he was still seeing 30% of his workforce and offices weren't performing. It didn't make any sense. And I was coming at it from the area that I said, and we basically said, we got to figure out why. And so after that presentation, that's how we met. And we started talking and we got a little nutty together and decided that we had a common vision and started putting stuff together. So when did you meet him? What year was that? Actually, that would have been 2012. 2012. Yeah. Because then you formed Ability Map in 2017. We may have started the company early. We liked the name and we wanted to get a jump on it. But You know, we really didn't get rubber hit the road until we rolled up our sleeves in 2016. I don't know if you remember this, Mylin, but we were looking to buy a piece of legacy technology that did in part one of the functions that we wanted. It was old technology, but it had some customers. And so we took a run at buying that from a large company. And at the end, the CEO, who's a friend of mine still, the CEO offered me a job. And I'm like, dude, if you're offering me a job, this is the most expensive interview I've ever had in my life. After we sort of took a run at buying Legacy, it was fortuitous that we didn't get it because it caused us to go back to the table and, you know, start from the ground. So in terms of vetting, Kevin, (laughs) what sort of processes, if anything, did you go through to lead you to decide that he was the right person to go through the startup journey with you? You mentioned you've been through the startup journey before, so assume you know that how difficult it is. What made you realize that he was the right person to go on the journey with you? When you're doing a tech startup, in my view, you got to have a couple things. You got to have the person driving the bus. And usually that tends to either be product led or sales led. Obviously, I took on the sales role. I have product background, but I'm by no means a coder. I've managed developers before, but never done the stuff. So I took sort of the biz lead role. And Kev's background was quite impressive. But he's a scientist. His understanding of human behavioral evaluation and cognitive evaluation, the depth of knowledge and experience that he has with virtually every tool that's out there, and his ability to, as an expert, make decisions on how we went about defining that which has not been defined, that was darn important to me because I couldn't do it myself. When I looked at Kev, I looked at him predominantly as the science behind what we're doing. And we brought in other people, as you know, and they backed Kev up. The other thing that was good is obviously in this market, even though I've been here for a while, I haven't been here forever. So his network and his name recognition was pretty important. So that was good. And then we obviously have a technology partner. We opted to pursue a course of contracting out with a company that we vetted quite carefully. They were very good. They've been very good with us and to us, and we continue. It wasn't so much our technology, while we obviously have advanced algorithms and different ways of doing things, that wasn't the beefiest part of what we needed to do at that stage. It was more about the science that was going into it, how to compare, relate, calculate. That's what we knew. So development and lead of the business, science and technology. Mike, I'd like to talk about your cap raising journey with AbilityMap. So take me back. How did you come to the business decision that you needed to raise capital for the business? To be honest, Mylene, it was probably at the same point that the decision to make the jump. 
Kevin and I put a lot of sweat equity into the business, as I think all founders should. <laughs> it's how you realize what a real situation you're in when you do that. And we funded the early stages of our development with contract development personally. And when I got to that inflection point and I had to say, am I going to give up this killer job to go do something that I truly believe in? And it gets me absolutely excited. Both Kevin and I agreed that the capital to ensure that the robustness with which we embedded our science, our algorithms, and our methodology was scalable and could be used over the next period to validate, improve our hypothesis with some of the globe's top companies, which is what we've done. That's what sort of this last stage has been about. We determined we wish to raise capital. And that's actually the second point. It's not just money, right? When you bring money on, if you're just bringing money, that's pretty expensive capital to bring on just for capital. So you bring on networks, you bring on perspective. And, you know, when I look at the first round of people, we've had essentially one round, about a million Aussies at date back in, well, you remember what it was, it was what, mm -hmm. 2018 we closed out? Yes. But the people that we have are right down the middle. Half of them came from Kev's network of very respected individuals, and half of them came from my network. You know, the, the network thing was really important. And mom's in there, as you know, mom's in. One of the things I wanted to ask you is locking in that first investor. That's usually the hardest part of any cap raise. Who was your first investor? You don't necessarily have to name them. Who was it and how did you lock that person in? Particularly since you mentioned that when you went out for the first raise, you were still building the product. So your pre-revenue, how did you convince that first investor? Okay. So a couple of things. Actually, to be fair, within that million bucks, it was broken up and I think it was $150,000 investment and then the seven fifty thereafter. And the reason mm -hmm. I'm laughing at that is our first investor is one of my oldest and dearest friends who we raced in the America's Cup together in 86. I was in his wedding and, you know, and he's an investment guy out of San Francisco. Russ was one of the people that I asked to tell me what I didn't want to hear. And he told me. Basically, <laughs> part of the condition of him investing that first, he, we call him our founding investor, was he said, all right, I'm in, but you got to jump ship and go full time. I said, of course, I'm cool with that. But what's interesting is going back, because I haven't thought about this in a while, that came in first. I then closed out my work period with Cornerstone because I made a commitment to us to do that. And then we raised our capital in 2018, as I recall, after that. So that was the first one. That was how we got it. You know, when you do it that way, my, well, my two cents is, you know, I got a serious commitment to Russ, right? I got a serious personal commitment to be successful because of his choosing to back us. I love that. I didn't know that story. And I love that he made you make that leap because I think... No, 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 um, no, 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 no. If that gets out on a webcast, I'm all over. <laughs> if it goes about that Russ made me do anything, I'm in serious trouble. So Russ laid out the terms. They were yeah. terms that I was already prepared to accept. Got it. But it was certainly a higher level of commitment. <laughs> understood, understood. Got it. <laughs> Mike, once the raise process started, I, I really want to understand what your day-to-day -day looked like. How much were you working in the business itself versus how much time were you spending actually focusing on the raise? You know, it's funny because I think in the earlier rounds, there are a couple things. I think the people that invest in us, whether it's then, 
now or in the future. These folks, they knew that we know and are good and had time on the water. We're a couple of old farts anyway, right? So they knew that we'd been around and that if we were doing it to this degree, that we actually, we were onto something. And actually that got reaffirmed just today with another investor because we're just going into a new round coming up here. And that was his comment. He goes, you guys are solving a problem that has been needed to be solved forever. And the people out there are not doing it the way it actually needs to be done. So, and this is a very seasoned investor in HR technology. So it was pretty cool today. They believe we were trustworthy to build something that had value in this space. That's the first thing. The second thing is in the early rounds, as I said, all of these people while Russ was the highest level of personal commitment because he was first in, I feel the same sense of commitment to the foundational shareholders that we have, and they expect that of me and Kev. So I think they probably knew that not only did we know our business, but that we had a responsibility for what we've asked them to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Their investing is, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But hey, mate, we're still here in 2021, mm-hmm. and we made it through 2020, didn't we? So they're backing you and Kevin as founders. Yeah, and I think that that's a lot of it. And it's interesting because like in this round right here, so we're, you know, we're obviously inviting our current shareholders to come with us again. And I think some of them look like they're going to do that, which is great. And some of them won't. Again, it's been a tough 18 months for a lot of people. But the new shareholders are, I think, the first point that they trust that we know our stuff and we built something. And that, fortunately, we have now have evidence of some of the top companies in the globe that have used us and said this is pretty good stuff. So that helps. I don't know if it's so much now they look at more what's the go-to-market, what's the business model, how do you make money, which of those are working now, where are you going to invest money to grow the business, and the clarity and the sense that that makes or doesn't make will be probably the major driver in investment <laughs> there. Mike, what took the most time during that first raise. Do you remember how long it went for from, say, the time you started first having conversations with investors to closing? I don't remember the time frame, Mylene. To be quite honest, I think the first round, once we went out and we said, we're doing it, we did our pitch. We answered their questions. We shared where we were going and what we were doing. And when they said yes, I mean, you remember that one of the things that was really good is we had all the docs lined up and tickety-boo and ready to go. And you know how I love DocuSign. And we, we rocked that out pretty quick. We had a couple yeah. of missteps that just needed some corrections, but they weren't big deals. We moved through that pretty fast in my view. I don't know. What about yeah. you? What do you think? Do you remember it? As soon as we were involved, it happened really quickly. So I'm curious to know how much legwork you did before that, before all the documentation started rolling through. A different way to say it is once we decided to go out, it was probably about a two-month cycle. And mm-hmm. we probably approached, what do we have now? I think we have eight right now, besides me and Kev. And we probably, over those two months, went out. I was probably spending about, I'd say, on third a third of my day. Wow. That was either talking to people, preparing stuff, sending stuff, or doing docs, or all that stuff. That's actually super fast. It's actually a really short timeline. I thought there might have been a bit more legwork up front before we got involved. So, I mean, the memory though, Mylin, I think we kept it open for a long time. So while we technically had all the signatures signed and you know everything done and money was in hand, I think we kept it open because we were kind of interested if we came across anyone else. So 
if you look at when we actually closed it, by memory, I think we kept it open four months or something. But that was only because a couple of then shareholders that said, hey, you should meet with these people. So there was kind of like this little bit of referral bang that yeah. went on after they made the decision because, you know, they tell their friends. Yeah. Probably is exactly the way opposite to what's going to happen. <laughs> now what's going to happen is these, the new ones are going to say, oh, yeah, go talk to them. If they come on, I'll come on. <laughs> so you're about to embark on your next cap raise. What would you do differently this time around? I think this time around, what we're doing is we have essentially, it's all about the business, the growth trajectory. It's all about the scale. It's all about what we're going to specifically do with the money. What evidence do we have supporting why that's going to drive the business? That's where exactly where it should be. We've been running the business for a couple of years. We've done these good customers, good people using it, you know, met us saying all these good things. So how are you going to scale that? And so, quite frankly, that is all we talk about. And it's more informed, right? Before it was a little bit more of, well, we, this is our plan. We think this is going to happen, but we had no evidence. But yeah. now we got evidence. Do you want to share with our listeners how much you're looking to raise this time around? Yeah, yeah. No, we've decided. So um, <laughs> it's funny because once you've been in the market and people are using it, you start getting pulled in different directions. So we're going out for basically a million dollars core. And that's to do three very specific things. Configure our product to reduce the time to try and buy. And that has some sort of just configuration issues based on what we've learned in the market. And so, for example, we have partners using our technology more to scale their business and generate higher value and high margin revenue with their clients. We need to tweak a couple things. So that's some of that there. Marketing is big because if we successfully do what we're going to do in the product, it makes it easier for people to access, try and buy, then we're going to pump the message out there and get on board with what everyone else is doing to scale up the SaaS side of our business. And then, of course, we have sales because we do have a big partner channel. We have very large customers that are coming down. And so a little bit more feet on the street with sales will be important. And our million bucks will get us through. It's not a big heyday run for us. I mean, you know me well enough by now. Like it or not, I, I run lean until I see the evidence and then we put the fuel on the fire, right? So our intention is with success of this raise and execution of the sales, marketing and product configs that give us the numbers we're looking at will be at a Series A, a proper Series A toward the latter part of next year into the following year. And that's our strategy. Now, what's different, though, is some of these big customers that we're talking to, we've had a couple of them come back and say, can we take a placement in this? And a couple of them are in a sort of a tangential market that Ability Map we are going out to, but they want to go faster in it. And so it's kind of like we're sussing out right now. All right, what's your appetite? And you know how important is this to you and to really define that? And if it lines up with where we're taking the company, because we know where we're going to grow, make the value, make the money. If we can keep them in line and they come in with a big position, we might take up to two mil. Always validation when your clients and your customers want to jump in. Yeah, we have two and they're big, possibly three, but the third one got caught up in a major acquisition. And so they've sort of been mucking yeah. around a little bit, but we kind of expected that because if you think about it, from what we do, we chose not to go out and build a whole bunch of functionality across the full talent cycle. This is my strong belief because I've been in the sector for a long time. A lot of pipe has been laid in the human capital technology space out there, like big infrastructure, right? What happens is when you take the insight to ability map, it's the blood in the veins for those type things because they've never had the, the true human inherent foundation, which is what we bring. And that's like 
we're talking about people. So if you don't know, <laughs> if you don't know inherently what your people are capable of, you can do all sorts of stuff. But that goes back to my comment, blind dog at a meat house, right? We kind of anticipate that whether it's an exit or, you know, what, it seems reasonable if we continue to do what we do well to scale our customers, there would be a larger technology provider that would have real interest and value in bringing us into their mm-hmm. fold. That's probably more in the, the outer Series A or plus. But, you know, you don't know. Exciting times. What's one thing you can share with other founders who are thinking about going through the cap raising journey or about to embark on a cap raising journey? One is if you haven't done it before, I guarantee it'll be more real than you ever thought. You got a business, Mylin, right? It's a pretty real experience, isn't it? Mm. Yep. Even though I done a lot of startups, as I said, you know, taking over CEO roles, putting your name on it. It just showed me like, you know, when I was making a great salary and making commissions and all the stuff was taking, you, you probably don't appreciate how easy it is to be an employee. So be ready for it to be real. And you don't have to know what it is, but just that's part of the experience. And you better be willing to embrace that. And you know, you get called to the mat and you find out who you are and that's what I want. Hold myself to my account, to my commitments and to deliver on it for no one else but me to start. And I want the result to be better for my family, but it's real. And the second thing probably is, and I've done pretty well at this, but man, be ready to take care of your fitness and your health. Because what happens is you will be consumed by this stuff as you should be. But if you don't make time, and Lee's like great in helping me with that, but if I don't get out for my bike ride and I sit on my backside too often, I'll get sick. I go down. That's a problem, not only for the business or for my shareholders, but for my family. So I'd say those two things are pretty important. Mike, this has been so much fun. Before we go, we're going to do what I call the quick six. It's six rapid fire questions. So don't think about it too much. (laughs) I've remixed some of these from some of my favorite interviewers. First one. What's your favorite work from home, lunch or snack? Ooh, actually, Lee makes me these killer. I love sandwiches, man. Give me a good sandwich. And especially during the last couple of weeks, she walks up with sandwich with tomato and her homemade mustard and turkey and nice bread and cheese. Pretty good. What's a great book that you've read recently? Oh, all right. Well, the one that I really dig is Homo Deus. Homo Deus. So the uh, author of Homo Deus, I forget his name. Juval or Duval, I think it is. Homo Deus is all about the future of humans, and it obviously means, you know, man, God. And it just talks about how far up our backside we have our head, (laughs) how we're letting it get away with us. That's my interpretation of it, but it's a really good book. I read Shoe Dogs a little while back, which is Nike, because they were our sponsor in the America's Cup. I really dug Shoe Dogs. I read the one on the All Blacks, too, Leadership. I've read that one. That's a great one, too. What's a documentary or podcast that you've watched or listened to recently? that you would recommend? There was that one uh, about, it was a little freaky at the start, but that guy who became a friend with the octopus. Don't know that one. Guy who became friend with octopus. It's called My Octopus Teacher. So this was one that it's really good. First part is that this guy goes out and he's free diving and he meets this octopus and befriends him. And actually at first it's a little creepy. And I was thinking, this dude's weird. But by the end of it, I realized that he had basically established a relationship and watched the life cycle of another being, but of a different genus. And it's pretty cool. Awesome. We'll have to look at that one. What's the most useful good or service that you've brought in the last 12 months that costs $100 or less? 
Audible's good. Although that's funny. Audible was a heck of a lot better when I was driving to and from the city all the time, right? <laughs> yep. I'll take that. Audible's a good one. Speaking of Audible, what's on heavy rotation on your music playlist right now? Hilltop Hoods, I guarantee you. Awesome. <laughs> and then number six, when you think of the word successful, who do you think of and why? The first person that always comes to mind is uh, this guy. That's my grandfather, Frank Irwin. He was a hell of a guy. Founded a, an insurance company with his brother-in-law in San Francisco, sort of in the heyday of when Hewlett Packard and all those companies were getting going. His wife, my grandma, was a tough lady. She had some mental health issues. They couldn't have children. They adopted my family, my dad and his twin brother. And the guy just sort of like was steady and did his stuff and did his best to raise a family. And there were some difficulties like always, but he just had this reputation for being good to do business with. I think I've got a good reputation and I've worked hard at it. And I just think that success is who you surround yourself with. Yeah. And actually my friends, I got great friends, my grandpa, my friends doing value and service to others that helps you be stronger, happier, healthier. Love it. Love the answer. Thank you, Mr. Frank Erland. Mike, this has been lots of fun. We'll have all of your details and Ability Maps details in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, good luck with the next round. Thank you very much, Mylin. I really appreciate the opportunity and I hope your listeners got something out of it. You've been listening to The Raise, a show that takes you behind the scenes into founder stories about capital raising. This podcast is brought to you by Termsheet Guru, a product from the expert team at Metis Law. Create kick-ass capital raising term sheets with Termsheet Guru and learn how to negotiate term sheets with confidence. To find out more, head to the website termsheet.guru. That's T-E-R-M-S-H-E-E-T dot G-U-R-U. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Raise, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mylin Dang, and we'll be back next episode with another deep dive into a founder's capital raising story.